The final section of the charter that I'm going to talk about is section 15. This is the equality provision. And I'm going to spend a bit less time on this provision than I did on section 7, not because it is unimportant, it is extremely important, not because it is rarely litigated, it is very regularly litigated, but because it's, it's something akin to the statutory interpretation approach that I took where I can give you the high-level test and the big ideas relatively quickly, and you can get where the test is at now and have some understanding but to get deeper into it, to get into the debates that have gone back and forth, the way the provision has been pushed and pulled in different ways, some of the concerns as to how far it's gone, how far it ought to go, is very much a tip of the iceberg. And I could, we could spend the rest of the semester talking just about Section 15. So I'm trying to keep this intentionally at a relatively high level, just because once you start unraveling Section 15, it, it does get very complicated and very controversial. The provision, section 15, is relatively long for a charter provision. And what it says is, every individual is equal before and under the law and has the right to the equal protection and equal benefit of the law without discrimination, and in particular, without discrimination based on race, national or ethnic origin, color, religion, sex, age, or mental or physical disability. Section 15 has a second component, section 15 sub 2, which says subsection 1 does not preclude any law program or activity that has as its object the amelioration of conditions of disadvantaged individuals or groups, including those that are disadvantaged because of race, national or ethnic origin, color, religion, sex, age, or mental or physical disability. So you have here a provision, the equality provision, in two parts. The first part guarantees that every individual is equal before and under the law and is entitled to the benefit of the law and the protection of the law without discrimination, and then lists a number of grounds upon which discrimination is prohibited. This list, the race, national or ethnic origin, color, religion, sex, age, this is known as the enumerated grounds. It's kind of a misnomer because the word enumerated means a numbered list. There's no numbers next to these, but you'll hear the enumerated grounds. The courts have also recognized that other grounds for protection analogous to these listed grounds are protected. This has included protection on the basis of sexual orientation and also discrimination on the basis of marital status. So we're going to unpack what this means. But before we do that, I want to talk about the biggest concept to take away from Section 15. And that is that it protects substantive equality, not formal equality. Formal equality is the idea that the law should treat everybody the same. The law shouldn't distinguish between people on the basis of their race or gender or anything else. So if you see a formal equality argument or issue, it might be something like only men can serve as firefighters. Let's say that was a law. Only men can serve as firefighters. Well, that would be 
clearly disadvantaging women. And that would violate formal equality because the law is not treating everybody the same. It's rather drawing distinctions based on your membership of a group. So formal equality is relatively an easy concept. Don't have laws that draw distinctions between these groups. Substantive equality, though, is a bit of a trickier concept, but it's the much more important concept for Section 15 of the Charter, which focuses on substantive rather than formal equality. Substantive equality recognizes that the same law may apply in different and unequal ways to different groups. So let's go back to the firefighters example. Imagine if the legislature, instead of saying that only men can become firefighters, decided instead to say, in order to become a firefighter, you have to carry 50 pounds around a one-mile track within 10 minutes. I'm making that up. I don't know how hard that would be. It sounds tricky to me right now. If it turned out, if the evidence showed that this is something that biologically is difficult for most women and biologically is much easier for most men, the effect would be to limit many women's ability to work as firefighters. There would be, in essence, a discrimination, a discriminatory effect on women who wanted to become firefighters. Now, perhaps that could be justified. And that's what section one is about. Perhaps you could say, no, this is really necessary. To be a firefighter, you have to be able to carry 50 pounds around a mile lap in 10 minutes. That's a, a bona fide job requirement. Well then, okay, this, is, this may have an effect on substantive equality, but that effect is justified. However, what if you say, well, no, you don't really ever have to carry 50 pounds and run a mile as a firefighter. It's just not part of the job. Well, then you have discrimination. You have a group that is not being allowed to do something because of their membership in that group. And that is not justified because it's not related to what you're trying to get at. That is substantive equality. It's the idea that you could have a law that on its face looks neutral. It's not men or women. Everybody's got to run that mile with that 50 pounds, but has its effect to be disproportionately burdensome on one group. And that's the type of equality that Section 15 has been interpreted as protecting. And it's the idea that sometimes when you treat different groups differently, that's not in fact discriminatory. Sometimes when you treat everybody the same, that is discriminatory. Another example, quite similar to the firefighter one that I just recall is um, imagine a law that says women cannot join the police force. Clearly discriminatory. How about a law that says people under six feet cannot join the police force? That will disproportionately affect women. Formal equality, that would be fine. Everyone's being treated the same. You know, I personally am five foot 11 and a half, not quite six feet. I couldn't join the police force either. But disproportionately more women would be affected by that law. So it raises a substantive equality concern, not a formal equality concern. Formal equality is the idea that the law doesn't itself directly draw distinctions between people based on their membership of a group. Substantive equality is the, is the idea that even 
a law that on its face looks neutral, doesn't draw distinctions between people based on their membership of groups, may in effect do so because of the different ways it will impact those groups. So the goal of the Section 15 analysis is to apply this equality provision in a way that promotes substantive equality. doesn't look to just make sure that the law doesn't explicitly try to draw distinctions between groups, but rather tries to make sure that the law treats people in a fair and equal way and doesn't disadvantage people based on their membership in a historically disadvantaged group. As I said, the history of Section 15 analysis is complicated, and you get cases back and forth where there's ideas that are tried on and then jettisoned when they don't work. So I'm going to start really at the end and just give you an explanation for where we are at now in terms of interpreting Section 15.1, and then I'll touch briefly on Section 15.2. So the big case for Section 15.1 now is the Quebec versus A case. And I will talk about that case in a second. But before talking about Quebec versus A, I want to talk about the Tapotat case. This is a recent, a more recent Section 15 case that just summarizes the approach and the issues in such a succinct and readable way that despite it not changing the law and not having the thorough analysis and the history of Section 15 that Quebec versus A has, it just gives you a straightforward and workable understanding of Section 15. So I'm going to start with that case, and then I'll talk about Quebec versus A, but with that framework in mind that is best explained, I think, in the Tapotat case. So Tapotat was a case concerning elections within First Nation communities pursuant to the Indian Act. We are going to get into the Indian Act next class, and I'll have a lot to say about it. But leaving aside that for now, the Kakiwistaha First Nation in Saskatchewan created an election code with a minimum grade 12 education requirement if you wanted to be a chief or a band counselor. Mr. Tapatat was 76. He'd been a chief for most of 30 previous years and had a grade 10 education. And he challenged the constitutionality of this education requirement. And the applicability of charter rights to internal First Nation governance is a tricky question. And again, something that, well, I don't think I'll even get into that in this course, but just know that's a fraught issue. But his argument was that this education requirement ended up being a discriminatory law on the basis of age. He argued that older people have lower levels of education in Canada, and among Aboriginal people in Canada, also older people tend to have a lower level of education. So he said there's a discriminatory impact of this. And the court, in really nice reasons from Justice Abella, sets out a clear framework for Section 15. And she notes that the Quebec versus A case is the most recent articulation, and that Section 15.1 requires a flexible and contextual inquiry into whether a distinction has the effect of perpetuating arbitrary disadvantage on the claimant 
because of his or her membership in an enumerated or analogous group. So that is a articulation of the requirement of Section 15. It's got to be a flexible and contextual inquiry into whether a distinction has the effect of perpetuating arbitrary disadvantage because of membership in an enumerated or analogous group. She breaks this down further, but that's a good articulation at the outset. She then says, look, we're talking about substantive equality. We're recognizing that persistent and systemic disadvantages have limited opportunities available to members of certain groups. And fundamentally, the idea of substantive equality rests on the idea that not every difference in treatment will result in inequality, but also that identical treatment may frequently produce serious inequality. And whenever you think substantive equality, you want to think those examples. Think about the six-foot police person requirement and how that would tend to discriminate against women. And she goes on at paragraph 18 to explain the focus of section 15 is on laws that draw discriminatory distinctions. That is, she says, distinctions that have the effect of perpetuating arbitrary disadvantage based on an individual's membership in an enumerated or analogous group. So discrimination, what's discrimination? It's perpetuating arbitrary disadvantage. When a group is arbitrarily disadvantaged, they've been discriminated against, is what she's saying. And that's the focus. It's not every difference that we care about. It's when we have these discriminatory, arbitrary disadvantages that have historically existed, and when we start perpetuating them, when we continue to perpetuate them, that's when we run into a Section 15 issue. And so with that sort of big picture purpose and understanding of what discrimination is, she goes on to say, okay, well, here's the analysis. The first part of the Section 15 analysis asks whether on its face or in its impact, so on its face or in its impact, a law creates a distinction on the basis of an enumerated or analogous ground. So you, the first step, on its face or in its impact, on its face is effectively the formal equality question of, does this law say, you know, women cannot be police officers? Or in its impact, does this law say you must be six feet tall to be a police officer? Does it create a distinction on the basis of an enumerated or analogous ground? And again, those enumerated are those grounds, race, national or ethnic origin, color, religion, sex, age, or mental or physical disability, or analogous, or analogous grounds, which, as I said, have been found to be marital status and sexual orientation. And here, this focus on these enumerated or analogous grounds keeps Section 15 aimed at perpet- or avoiding the perpetuation of these historical disadvantages. People often try to trivialize Section 15 by saying, oh, you know, I'm, I'm a member of a group. I'm a hunter. How come you can discriminate against me and not tell me I can hunt wherever I want to? You know, that, that type of a, an argument is just silly, and it, it trivializes Section 15. So keep the focus on these grounds, these enumerated or analogous grounds, where there actually is a history of discrimination. And then she goes on, she says, okay, so the first part in its face or in its impact, does the law create a distinction on the basis of a numerated or analogous ground? 
And the second part of the analysis, she says, focuses on arbitrary or discriminatory, and she identified how those two things are tied earlier, disadvantage. That is, she says, whether the impugn law fails to respond to the actual capacities and needs of the members of the group and instead imposes burdens or denies a benefit in a manner that has the effect of reinforcing, perpetuating, or exacerbating disadvantage. So look and see if a law is drawing a distinction on the basis of an enumerated or analogous ground, and then see whether the law is imposing a benefit or a burden in a manner that's reinforcing, perpetuating, or exacerbating disadvantage. And she ties this into a a quote from Quebec versus A, where the court recognized that the root of Section 15 is our awareness that certain groups have been historically discriminated against and that the perpetuation of such discrimination should be curtailed. So this gets at the idea, again, that we're not trying to stamp out all difference. We're trying to protect groups that have been historically disadvantaged. And again, you'll see these bad faith arguments. Well, I'm a man, I'm getting discriminated against because, you know, this law gives a benefit to women. Okay, well, does that have the effect of perpetuating historical discrimination against men? No. You know, we're talking about the groups that have actually suffered historical discrimination. That's the point of Section 15. We're not going to trivialize it by demanding that everybody be treated the same. We're going to look to see if a law is perpetuating a historical disadvantage. Is there something that has been historically, arbitrarily born by one group? And if so, for drawing a distinction upon membership in that group and we're perpetuating that disadvantage, that is constitutionally a problem. And the court in Tepotat resolved the case on the basis of insufficient evidence. They said, we just don't have the evidence before us to find there's actually being a distinction drawn on the basis of age by this requirement. And they said, in effect, that the Federal Court of Appeal went by sort of intuition and instinct, and it just it didn't get to the point of drawing robust evidentiary conclusions that would allow discrimination to be found in this case. So on the application, it's, it's a, um, a disappointing case in the sense that the record just wasn't there. The claimant had failed to put together a good evidentiary record for their case. The nightmare of any litigator, if you get to the Supreme Court of Canada and they say, well, you just did such a bad job when you made your evidentiary record that we can't decide the case, even though we see, you know, potentially you might be right. Just the evidence is not there. Nightmare. You don't want that to happen to you. But why the case is helpful is it distills this discussion from Quebec versus A, which in itself distills all this discussion about Section 15 from many years of Supreme Court of Canada jurisprudence down to a few paragraphs and really gets at the nub of the matter. And again, it just puts that focus that Section 15 looks at laws that draw discriminatory distinctions that perpetuate arbitrary disadvantage based on your membership in an enumerated or analogous group. Look at whether the law creates a distinction on the basis of an enumerated or analogous ground, and then look at whether that has the effect of reinforcing, perpetuating, or exacerbating disadvantage for that group. It's ultimately a rather clean framework that gets tricky in its application, but keeps the focus squarely on protecting historically disadvantaged groups 
and providing substantive, not formal equality to those groups. So the final case I'll go through kind of quickly is the Quebec versus A case. And this is a hugely important case for Section 15. However, it's incredibly long and complex and is not probably the easiest case to get your head around for the purposes of this course, but I will go through it. Um, so the case concerned a Quebec law that treats a couple on their breakup differently based on whether they're married or not. So the language is de facto couple. It's effectively a common law couple. You know, Not called common law because it's civil law Quebec, but the, the analogous idea is a de facto couple is an unmarried couple that would be common law within a British uh, common law framework, a common law couple. And they're treated differently from married couples under the Quebec Civil Code. Married spouses may have to divide property and pay spousal support on breakup. De facto, aka common law couples, do not. Facts of the Quebec versus A case were tabloid fodder. You had this young model who marries this old, not old, but this billionaire. They have three kids together. She wants to get married. He does not. She stays home taking care of the kids mostly. He's off billionaireing. And they break up. They never get married. On breakup, she challenges the constitutionality of the Civil Code of Quebec provisions that give protections to married but not de facto spouses. And so the court says, okay, looking at that framework, do we have a distinction on the basis of an enumerated or analogous ground? And it's been established already that marital status is an analogous ground. So yes, you do. The first step is therefore met. Do the, do the challenge provisions impose differential treatment on the basis of analogous ground? Yes, they do. And then the court goes through a bit of a historical description of some of the requirements that have existed in Section 15 jurisprudence. I won't go through that. It's interesting but I won't go through that. And they come ultimately to the place I summarized in the Tapotat decision, that what matters next is considering whether a distinction is discriminatory and that it perpetuates arbitrary disadvantage. And the court says, yeah, excluding economically vulnerable and dependent de facto spouses from protections given to married spouses perpetuates a historic disadvantage that was faced by people who were not married. So you have a section one, a section 15 sub one violation here. You're perpetuating disadvantage on the basis of an analogous ground. That's not the end of the story, though. There's a justification under section one that has to be considered. And the court, the majority, a 5-4 majority, says, yes, this is in fact justified under section one. They say the pressing and substantial objective is to promote choice and autonomy that people can choose to get married and enter into a system, but they don't have to choose to enter into that system. And then there's a rational connection. The state imposes obligations only on people who choose to enter into a system. They say in a minimal impairment that it's, it's within a range of reasonable options to not impose financial obligations on de facto couples. And they say the benefits of enhanced choice are proportionate to the impact on women like Miss A, in this case, in night of there's a need to defer to legislatures on difficult social questions. So the court says this is discriminatory, but it's justifiable under Section 1. So the Quebec versus A case is an interesting 
run through the history and certainly is a case if you have a section 15 issue in your practice you're going to want to have a careful read through the basic idea and the basic framework may be easier to understand by focusing on the table tack case but big picture section 15 you want to think substantive equality understand what that means and then you want to think this drawing a distinction on the basis of an enumerator analogous ground plus perpetuating an arbitrary disadvantage will get you a section 15 infringement and then you go through a section 1 analysis under the Oaks test. The final thing I want to touch on is section 15 sub 2 and this is I read it at the outset but it, it's another section of another part of section 15 which says look that section subsection 1 does not preclude any law program or activity that has as its object the amelioration of conditions of disadvantaged individuals or groups, including those disadvantaged on the basis of race, national, or ethnic origin, religion, sex, age, or mental or physical disability, those same enumerated grounds. And the idea here is that we don't want to engage in sort of this equality with a vengeance, which we, a phrase we used earlier. And if you're going to be trying to lift up a historically disadvantaged group by providing them an, an advantage, you can't challenge that under a section 15 basis because that is getting at the goal of equality and you got to allow the state to choose a group and to provide a benefit and not have that benefit be challenged either by people who are in the not historically disadvantaged groups you know the, the white man saying well you're providing a fishing right to that first nation and I ought to have that fishing right which is the cap case I'll talk about briefly in a second. And also amongst other disadvantaged groups, you know, you want to be able to say, look, I have some resources to help somebody. I can't help everybody, but I should be able to help, you know, one group without being sued for not helping another group. So as long as my goal is to ameliorate, you know, help a historically disadvantaged group, if the court finds that as a goal of my legislation, I won't run into a section 15.1 problem because the majority group, the not disadvantaged people, you know, try to rely on equality, or because the other, another disadvantaged group, you know, wishes that they received a similar benefit. So the case I mentioned on that is uh, very briefly is called CAP, and it was a case involving a federal strategy to enhance Aboriginal involvement in a commercial fishery, which gave these communal fishing licenses to Aboriginal bands, which allowed early access to the Fraser River Salmon Run. And some non-Aboriginal fishers were engaged in a protest fishery. They went out to purposefully engage in fishing you know, during this early 24-hour period. And they said that they were being discriminated against on the basis of race. And there's a Section 15 argument. And the court says... Look, what we have here is clearly a law that is aimed at ameliorating a historic disadvantage suffered by a group, the Aboriginal members of this community who have been discriminated on the basis of race. This is an ameliorative, aimed at helping, in other words, provision, and you don't get to, as the historically advantaged group, rely on Section 15 and equality to strike this down. So if a government can show that it's an ameliorative program, you don't need to get into a full section 15.1 analysis. So what I want you to remember big picture then is equality. It's a tricky concept. This is the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot more to it. 
Remember the idea of substantive equality. Remember that you're looking as a test. Are you drawing a distinction on the basis of an enumerated or analogous ground? And are you perpetuating arbitrary disadvantage by doing so? If so, then you're going to have a prima facie breach that can be saved under Section 1, potentially. You want to think that you have this Section 15.2, which says, look, if this is a challenge to a government program that's aimed at ameliorating, helping a historically disadvantaged group, we don't need to get into a big Section 15 analysis that's going to be okay. And then you want to remember what I'm talking about when I'm saying these enumerated or analogous groups, that is those groups specifically listed in Section 15, and also similar groups, which so far have been found to be uh, discrimination on the basis of marital status and sexual orientation. So I don't mean to give short attention to Section 15, but I'm going to stop the lecture there, and hopefully this gives you sort of... A broad idea about the framework, but certainly if you're going to be engaging in an equality case, there's there's plenty more detail to get into. But for the purposes of this course, I hope that provides a, a good start. With the next case, next uh, lecture, we'll be going on to Aboriginal rights and title, and um, you know, very much look forward to that. Thank you very much.